Good morning. morning. Got a good crowd here this morning. It's amazing what the good weather will bring out, isn't it? Let's see here. Get wired up. Well, as Noah mentioned, today is a communion Sunday, so we have an opening song, and then we uh, deliver the message, and then we get we have an opportunity to respond to God's word through more uh, praise and worship. And then we close our service by sharing the Lord's Supper together. So we have lots of opportunities to honor the Lord this morning and lots of opportunities for God to minister to our hearts and our souls. And the Lord knows every burden that walked through that door this morning. He knows everything that's in our minds, all the things we want to praise Him and thank Him for this morning and all the things that are heavy on our hearts. And because we live in a broken world, we do pass through this world or pilgrim through this world with a lot of burdens and a lot of brokenness. And I just want to say God knows that. And one of the reasons we're here is because He's worthy of our worship. And one of the reasons He's worthy of our worship is because He heals the brokenhearted. And He makes the impossible possible. So that's the kind of God we're worshiping this morning. And that's the kind of God I want to speak about this morning. We are... As Noah mentioned, looking at Psalm 100 exclusively for our communion Sundays, and I have started a little series called Beautiful Things. And we originally looked at this psalm expositorily because what I'm talking about you don't find necessarily in the psalm. Uh, But it it serves as a tremendous foundation for, uh, for truths that we need to know and be armed with in order to handle all of the things that are coming our way in our crazy society. As long as I can remember, people have been saying, especially believers, what is going on in the world? This is craziness. And there's, so there's craziness. There are dangerous ideas. Every generation, they just recycle or they come up with something new. That people are faced with. So we're faced with a lot of things today. Uh, Culture's changing. um, Faster than we know what to do with. And the reason that we're faced with things. And we look at people and the decisions that they're making. And we think. What could you even possibly be thinking to make that kind of decision? How could you believe such a thing? And it's because there are ideas floating around there. It's not just craziness. People are making decisions based on ideas and things and truths that they believe. We're going to talk about one of those things this morning as we look at biblical humanity. And I'm just going to kind of scratch the surface on what makes us human. And what is what other if you're if you're not a Christian and you don't believe what the Bible says about humanity, then what do people believe about humanity and personhood? And some of this morning's message is a little sensitive because I am going to talk about abortion because that's one of the things that we're faced with in our society. And it's not just something out there. There is a reason for why people may choose to participate in that. And as believers, we think, what could you possibly be thinking? It's so plain and clear. So we're going to venture into that a little bit. So it's a little bit sensitive this morning. But we need to think about these things because we live in a lost world and we're the ones that are supposedly found by our great shepherd. We are the church. We have the truth. 
Uh, the song that we sang this morning was packed full of biblical truth. And this is our reality. So this is part two of our beautiful things message. And this morning we will look at biblical humanity or personhood. Are, do you qualify as a person this morning? What does our society say is a real person? Well, we are facing a lot of crazy things, a lot of crazy ideas. So let me just give you a few examples before we read our psalm. There's a uh, young man by the name of Joseph Backholm of the Family Policy Institute for Washington. What baby's making all that racket? Who is it? I love it. Is it Haven? Is it Haven? I love it, by the way. <clears throat> oh, they're all joining in. You just go ahead. It's not going to phase me. It's sweet music to my ears. So there's this young white guy, Joseph, back home. And you'll figure out why I said white in a minute. But he's from the Family Policy Institute for Washington. And he walked around the campus of the University of Washington, the state of Washington, not D.C. And he just interviewed people. He asked the students. They were all students. College, smart kids, college kids. He asked them some questions. He's blonde hair, blue-eyed guy. He's about, he's about my size, but he is younger. So he would go up and say, ask, what if I were to tell you, or what if I were, yeah, what if I were to tell you, or what would you think if I said? So he went up to some students. He said, what would you say if I told you that uh, I am a female and I want to use the ladies' bathroom and the ladies' locker room? And the students, uh, there was about eight or nine of these students that he interviewed. And um, most of the students would say something like, well, if that's how you feel or if that's how you see yourself, then there's perfectly fine for you to do that. If you think that you're a female and you want to use the ladies room in the, in the girls locker room, that's perfectly fine. There was one person that gave the same answer every time and when he said, what would you say if I told you? He would say, well, first I would ask you how you came to that conclusion. And then, but if you had a good reason, if that's what you feel like, then it's fine. Who am I to judge? So we're talking about somebody that's uh, obviously a male, biologically, physically, on a place uh, of academia, asking what we would consider a very simple question that, our two- and three-year-olds could probably answer. And these students are saying, if that's how you feel, if that's how you see yourself, then it's perfectly fine. Who am I to judge? And then he would ask the question, what if I told you I was seven years old? And the students would have very similar answers. Well, I would say that's a little strange, but if that's how you legitimately see yourself as a seven-year-old, then I think that's, that's okay. Uh, with each question, you could see the students getting a little more uncomfortable as they answered it. So then he says, what would you say if I told you I was a six-foot, five-inch female Chinese woman? And the students except for the one that said, well, first I'd ask how you reached that conclusion, but if that's how you felt, then 
the students were, were, they awkwardly were answered the question. They would say, well, that would be hard to believe. But if that's how you identify yourself as a six foot, five inch Chinese female, that's okay because who are humans to set boundaries for the identity of other humans? And so as long as you're not harming anybody, you know, in sitting in a first grade classroom as a seven-year-old, or as long as you're not harming anybody as this Chinese, tall Chinese woman, um, it's okay. How, how is that possible, well, you might think? It was kind of actually sad to me to watch this. So this was five years ago. Because the students, obviously, like you, you could see the expressions on their faces, and they're thinking people, obviously. And I could see that it was like they were trapped because their ideology betrayed their reality, and it was they just were awkward in their body language. Being put in a position where their ideology or what they thought about identity and biblical or humanity in general was challenged, and yet. It was like they were paralyzed. It was like they wanted to say the obvious, but couldn't. And I thought, what, what is holding you back from just stating what is obvious to everybody else in the truth? But it's their ideology. It's what they think about what makes you a person. And the, the cultural postmodern consensus today... And one of the reasons we're seeing a lot of the crazy things, what we would call crazy, is because this ideology that your mind, you can decide who and what you are. Now, this is really happening in our culture. And I don't want to get too far ahead of myself because one of our sermons will be on gender identity and biblical sexuality. But it is a worldview. We make decisions about the meaning of life, personhood, right and wrong, values, priorities, morals, based on what we believe is true. And because Christians believe what this Bible says is true, and there are others that believe that maybe science or another religion or just their own minds, they're the authority of truth, we are going to come to, to um, different conclusions. And we're seeing our society come to more and more drastically different conclusions. And that's one of the reasons there's so much violence and anger and angst in our society. It's a, it's a clash. And I do want to say that uh, it, it's, I, I want to do my best to be compassionate because, you know, Jesus would look at the masses and say, oh. I mean, his heart would be broken because of the deception and the lies that that people are basing their lives on, and it's ruinous. Our society is ruining itself. The way we look at babies and life and each other and the elderly, we are just, we're the culture of death. And I know he would be sad. And I'm, I try to be that compassionate. And so I hope that will come across. Uh, God's a God of love and forgiveness, and we were all created to be little worshipers and to proclaim his truth. But we're being challenged. And as believers, we're going to have to make decisions. But what part of the delusion do we agree with or live in? 
How far are we going to go along with some of the thinking that's taking place in our society? Let me just give you one more example of craziness, I guess. I don't know. Uh, Unsound thinking. This same guy just last year, about this time last year, you may have remembered there was a woman's march in Washington, D.C. this time. The same guy walked around with a microphone and he asked questions. Now, this is a woman's march. So he asked the question, what is a woman? And he received lots of very passionate answers, but not a single answer that actually clearly identified what a woman was. So the people, obviously, you wouldn't go to a woman's march unless you were very passionate about womanhood. But what he found is that nobody gave a clear answer of the definition of what they were marching for. So some of the answers he received, a woman is anything she wants to be defined as. That's what a woman is. A woman is someone who chooses to express themselves. Another said, that's a trick question. (laughs) Then two other women who were selling uterus pins told this guy that they don't think having a uterus is what makes a person a woman. So these are the answers you get. And I just say that because we are a confused society. We're confused. And we might find ourselves passionately fighting for things that we don't even know how to define. And that's unacceptable for people of the book. Because God defines the parameters of reality for us. And that's why I love the psalm that I haven't even read yet. But it's only six verses. I'm going to read it soon. I love it because it is just packed with... The truths are so basic and simple, we gloss over them. Because we believe them and they've served us well in our lives, in our families. But when you don't have them, wow, you can really drift far and live a very, very painful life. These are bad ideas that we're living with and they have bad consequences. And, they're, and, they, and then we start making laws based on these ideas that people have to bend their lives to. And speaking about bad ideas and dangerous laws, won't say much about it, but just educate yourself on the Potential Equality Act that the new administration is pushing. The Equality Act that is very dangerous to everybody in here. Educate yourself to these things. It affects you. Now read Psalm 100, first verse. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. There are so many incredible truths in here. The Lord is good. If you believe God is good, it will change the way you think and live. So the main teaching of the psalm, and we did this a little over a year ago now, the main teaching is that our singing, because it's an invitation to praise, our singing 
is based on knowing. And as we come to know the goodness of God, the mercy and the love of God, the power of God in a deeper and deeper, more realistic way, the result is just more joyful praise. So it's this, it's this cycle of you press in, you get to know God more, and the result is gratitude and praise and thanksgiving because he is so phenomenal, phenomenal and majestic. So that's the main teaching of this psalm. But I'm using it as a basis to challenge some of the ideas in our culture and also to equip us to know how to handle these ideas, to know the truth so that we can reason with others and minister to others. I did a sermon last time on how did we get there? I mean, how in the world could we start thinking and making decisions like this? And it's based on worldviews. And I'm not going to go rehash it. But the important thing to understand is that decisions are being made today. And a lot of these decisions that are the most um, harmful, I think, at least in our eyes, are being made based on the idea that humanity is dualistic. That we have a mind and a body. And the body is really not worth much. The body's just kind of the evil matter. And it comes from ancient ph philosophy and so forth. But the body's just evil matter. The mind is superior because that's where the beauty is. That's where the values are. That's where your soul, if you have one, is. And so we kind of like can do anything we want with our bodies because they're not sacred. We can use them to our advantage. And we can do immoral things with our body, but it doesn't affect us as a person because really it's just our mind that matters. And that truth is what is affecting uh, many of the decisions that we see today. So I want to look at personhood this morning and we're going to see how this plays out in the area of abortion. Um, and just remember... That we were created to love God and love covers a multitude of sins. This is the kind of God that we serve. And God's truth is designed to bring us around to him. To bring us around to identifying and agreeing with him about what truth is. And sometimes that requires repentance, laying aside false ideas and false living for the truth and praising him. Now, you well know, because it's been several decades now, that we have uh, what would be called like a, a pro-choice movement. Why abortion should be legalized. And it's pro-choice. It's a woman's right, society tells us. And the argument is that it's my body, my choice. So the argument goes that because uh, this thing however you define it, is in a woman's body. Obviously, it seems to make perfect sense. It's my body, my choice. I can do what I want to it. And the last thing I need is somebody else speaking into my life, telling me what to do with my body. Now, that sounds like a pretty good argument until you think about it scientifically, and I would argue rationally. Uh, there's some truth to it that... Babies are formed in a woman's body. That's how God designed women and their bodies to be the cradle of life. But it's not true that it is your body in the sense that your womb is where new life comes from. And so as soon as the new life at conception is created, then you have a new life, a new person. 
So it's not just your body. Now it's your body carrying and nurturing by your God-given design an entirely new person. So that is... uh, If you think about that argument, it breaks down quickly. Because that's how we know in real life, that's how we have babies with us this morning. It began at conception in the mother's womb. So the old argument was originally, well, it's okay, abortion is okay because the the thing in there, it's just a blob, it's a fetus, it's tissue. I mean, you can just scientifically look at it and there doesn't look anything like a human. It's a tadpole at most. And so I can terminate without any kind of remorse. It's not even a moral issue. It's just like some kind of bodily growth. And so that was the rationale. That doesn't hold anymore, um, by the way. Because of science and technology and advancements, now we know actually science, believers and unbelievers, science shows that, oh no, that is a real human life. It's a human life and it does happen at conception. You got half and half from mom and dad. That, that, the cells begin to immediately just flourish in life. Like everything is coming into place right on schedule at different stages so that that little fertilized egg is going to become what we see in here this morning, babies. There's not, it's not a scientific argument anymore. They absolutely acknowledge full humanity. And the biblical belief is that humanity starts at conception because that little cell will begin to bud. Things are going to place where arms will come out. And now we have ultrasounds. And you can see beautifully the development of a child. It is a remarkable, remarkable thing what happens here. And so this child will begin to grow its own organs because that child is its own person now at conception. And it's sad that by God's design, and I know... You, you know this as parents, that we are often the last line of defense for our children. The world might give up on them, and parents are often the very last line of defense. And it's sad to me the lies and the deception that float around in our society where the last line of defense, which would be motherhood in this case, actually is, poses the most danger to a new life. That's sad to me. And that's a postmodern world view that gave us our culture of death. The Apostle Paul says something interesting in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, We destroy speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's you. When these ideas come out, you take what the world says, you compare it to what God says, how he defines meaning, life, and everything else to determine whether it's true or not. And we want to take down, we want to lovingly, compassionately, and winsomely challenge these dangerous ideas that are out in the world today with God's truth. So God's word equips us to handle these cultural thoughts. 
So let me just reiterate, the key to understanding where we are today is to understand that the body and the mind have been fragmented. And you will see throughout this series how that foundational wrong thinking leads us to some of the decisions that are being made. The body is left behind today. Take it or leave it. Call it what you want. Do with it as you want. You might think, well, I've never really heard this very often put in our, this way in our culture. A lot of times we just see the effects and we don't see the thinking behind it. Where do, where do you come up with this stuff that the mind and the body is, and, and humanity can kind of be redefined? As a matter of fact, if today's science says and acknowledges fully, yeah, that's a human in the womb. That's a bona fide human. Then how, pray tell, can abortion still be legal? Well, it's the personhood theory. The personhood theory. So how can now, biologically, a fetus or a child or a baby or a, an adult be physically and biologically a human... The reason that abortion is still legal is because of this dichotomy. And this reason says, yes, that baby is fully human, but that baby is not a person. Where do I come up with this stuff? Well, the farther away we get from Bible truths, the more we're left to our own depraved minds and we come up with doozies and then we have to live with them and we have to as believers as the church pick up the broken pieces so where do I come up with this stuff if science acknowledges it out with the old science in with the new yes it's a human but not a person so According, this is according to the laws of our land, what you might not know. SCOTUS, according to a decision made by the Supreme Court of the United States, uh, this according to a postmodern world view, the human in the womb is indeed living, growing, growing, but is not a person. That's the new moral orthodoxy, if you will. And it splits humanity into two parts. See, in God's view, you have a mind and you have a body by God's design. And that, but you are one sacred unit. Your mind and your body is sacred and they are to work together. They're both beautiful and wonderful and you are created that way to be useful in your service to the king. When it came time to the, for the Supreme Court to rule on the Roe v. Wade decision way back in 1973, what did they decide? Well, abortion is a woman's right. Why? Because the, growing, the human growing in her womb is not a person. Now, you can go online, which is what I did, and I quote from the website Landmark Cases of the U.S. Supreme Court. Justice Harry Blackmun is, in, in no uncertain terms, said that the unborn baby was not a person. I quote, the word person, this is the Supreme Court justice speaking, the word person, as used in the 14th Amendment, does not include the unborn. And because if the fetus were to include the identity of a person, then 
abortion would be illegal, obviously, because that unformed baby would have 14th Amendment protections. Now, I quote again, if the suggestion of personhood is established, the fetus, the fetus's right to life would then be guaranteed. So so if you follow that reason, yes, it's a human. No, it's not a person. But if it was considered, ever considered to be a person, then it would have the guarantee of protection under our Constitution and it would be illegal to harm that human that's not a person if it were to become a person. You see, that's, those are the ideas. This is the law of our land. And judges, they're real people. Teachers, academia, professors, they're real people. They wrestle with real life. They read books and they absorb and they weigh through ideas and thoughts. And they come to conclusions based on, that's their worldview, based on what they think life is really about and how it works. And then we put it into policy and so forth. And that's how we get to where we are today. So no, the baby's not a blob. Yes, it's indeed a human, but it's not a person. All right, so the next question, I know you're thinking of it. All right. At what point does it go from human to person? Because here it's not a person. It's just a human. And here it's a person. Where's the magic spark? That's a great question. By the way, God saw you in your mother's womb. Isn't that neat? Those scriptures. That God has been in your life before you knew you had life. He was in your mind before you thought your first thought, before you did your first, and before you grew your first digits. God loves you, designed you, created you, has a plan for you, and only for your good. And your best good is to love Him with all your heart. And that will get you through this broken world into the next, where we won't have to deal with this. Because reality will be revealed in a way that we have yet to see. The joys. So when do you go from getting a SCOTUS or a thumbs down to a thumbs up to reaching your personhood? This is called the personhood theory. You can look it up. It's It's very easy and very prevalent. The personhood theory or constitutional personhood theory because now it's our constitution. Our constitution tells us who's a person and who is just a mere human. These value judgments that we see. By the way, I want to give you one more example before I tell you the magic answer to the question. There was a a very liberal British uh, broadcaster named Miranda Sawyer. um, Very effective, very intelligent, very pro-choice that wholeheartedly believe in abortion rights, and then something happened that really challenged her. She got pregnant. And then, in her mind, she is loving this, what she would call a fetus or just a human, according to her thinking. And Because she, she wanted to keep this baby. And this is just at a few months. And so she's, in reality, she was just faced... Her reality and her ideology collided. And she, she realizes, you know, 
The only reason this baby has any value is because what I have decided for it. I've decided that I want to keep it and therefore it's going to live. But what if I decided I didn't want to keep it? Then then I could terminate it. And there's just something not right with me having all this power to decide life and death. But then her conclusion was, unless, of course, it's just a human and not a person, then it's okay to terminate. So her ideology, it was challenged for a little while there, but she still landed in the wrong place by adopting the personhood theory as a justification for that kind of thinking. So at what point will it magically become uh, a person? Well, the answer is when a human begins to become sentient or cognitive. When you, at the moment of your self-awareness, when you begin to really understand that you, you exist and that you exist within other existence... So when your brain kicks in and you become, you start to think. It is at that point, it, it's your, your cognitive awareness of yourself. You just magically became a person. So welcome to the world of personhood. Uh, Nancy Piercy says to be biologically human. She's a strong believer, by the way. To be biologically human is a scientific fact, but to be a person is an ethical concept defined by what we value. So now you see why the things that we face today in our world that we cringe at, aborted fetuses, abortion, and and so forth, is treated as commodity. It's okay to use this human to help people or persons and so we, there's the selling of parts and tissues and it's a commodity just like we would harvest timber because we don't look at it as a living person that we are doing harm now, by the way talk about relevant the biggest thing going on in our world today of course is the pandemic and Thank the Lord that we have vaccines to it. I know not everybody's thanking the Lord for that, but there are a lot of people thanking the Lord that we have vaccines for it. But some of the vaccines, there's an uproar about the latest one, Johnson & Johnson. It's coming from the Catholic Church. I'm sure you probably watch the news. And they're saying, don't use that one if you're going to be vaccinated because it it was derived from aborted fetal tissue back in the 1970s. And they, they preserve these tissues and these cells and they actually clone them to be used for different things. So they're saying that's unethical. So these are things that we're wrestling with in our society. We have to, we have to look and do our research and, and be educated in this. You know, what lines up with God's word? How do we value life and what does that mean? Is it okay to use things as commodities? Real life struggles. Case in point. So in our world, being a member of the human race is not enough. You're just a a potential person. Now, as I wind down, let me give you a little example of this um, from a a famous producer-director. 
Who has the power to decide when that magic moment takes place? And is it possible for that magic moment of cognitive ability to change at any point in time if our society so decides that or our new thinking and ideas about human worth change along with it? What would the world look like? And by the way, when you define personhood as cognitive ability... Are you a person when you sleep? You're not thinking. Or if you're in a coma, what do we know about that? What about those that are sick and ailing or terminally ill? We are redefining personhood. At you know, We go to bed at night and wake up and there's something new based on how people think. A big thing now is elderly. They're no longer as worth as much as they used to be. And we are seeing pressure. For the elderly to end their lives. And if a person is no longer thinking as far as we can tell, they're no longer a person. But for right now, it's mostly in our younger stages. You have to earn personhood. You have to earn personhood in our world. Who has the power to decide? Well, there's a very famous writer-director by the name of uh, Philip Dick, and you've likely watched... At least one of his movies. Uh, He produced The Minority Report with Tom Cruise. He um, produced Total Recall with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Blade Runner with Harrison Ford. This is a a very popular guy. Or the more recent um, Netflix series called The Man in the High Castle. There's a lot of worldviews in that Netflix series. But years ago... So he's famous, but years ago he did one little short story that was not famous. It was infamous, and he got lots of critique for it, and it was called The Pre-Persons. And he wrote it shortly after the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision. And it highlights the dilemma that this decision created in defining a true person. And I read about this in Nancy Piercy's book, Love Thy Body. And I went online to try to find it. And all I could find was a Spanish version. It was turned into a movie. And he wrote the story. But it was turned into a movie. It was a Spanish version. So it had subtitles. Uh, Don't let your kids watch it. It's creepy. It's creepy. Um, Watch it first. I'll just be honest with you. Because this is dark stuff. You know, Peter tells us we live in a dark world. Christ is the morning star. But without Christ, we we live in a dark world. So, in this pre-person story, the, uh, the, the definition or the conclusion of personhood keeps changing. See, it started in the early months. Well, as soon as you're sentient, then you're a person. Then it went a little bit later. Well, not until the eighth or ninth month in utero. Then it keeps moving a little later on in life. And there are later term abortions. By the way, we we see that today. So they they keep wondering in this movie where to draw the line. And then then is is it maybe the baby's first smile? Because then you know that baby can interact. That's when it's a person. Or its first intelligible word. That's when we know it's from a human to a person. Or when it finds and enjoys its favorite 
toy. And they're going back and forth with these laws. And they finally decide that the age of 12, the age of 12, when your mind is developed enough to do algebra, some algebra, then you are a person. And until then, you are a pre-person. You're a human. And you have no rights to stay alive. And at any time, your parents can decide, nope. And in this movie, of course, now you don't have little babies that can't speak for themselves. Now you have little kids that can speak for themselves. It is, it's creepy. So anybody under 12 can be killed for any reason. They call it postpartum abortion. And it's up to the parents. And in the movie, you have like this van. It's this little truck. And it's kind of like our good humor trucks. The good humor vans and trucks. And the kids know that it's in the neighborhood coming their way. Uh, um, The kids know because uh, it has children's nursery rhymes playing. And so... The, um, the story begins with a scene and kids are playing in the, in the local playground, swinging on the swings, sliding down the slide boards, playing on the monkey bars, just like we would see out here in the back. And let me just quote a few lines. Past the grove of cypress trees, Walter, he had been playing king of the mountain, saw the white truck and he knew it for what it was. And he thought... That's the abortion truck. Come to take some kid in for a postpartum down at the abortion place. And he thought, maybe my folks called it for me. And he ran. And he hid among the blackberries, feeling the scratching and the thorns, but thinking it's better than having the air sucked out of your lungs. That's what they do at that clinic in that big room for the kids that nobody wants. That's fortunately fictitious. That's make-believe right now. I don't know what the future holds. But when you start with that same kind of reasoning and thinking about humanity and personhood, that's a possibility. When we untether ourselves from the rock, personhood. You see the battle that we are in? You see the responsibility that God has laid on our shoulders by just enlightening our minds and giving us this powerful book that other nations that don't believe in God want to ban because it's a book of ideas and it's a book of truths that will set you free and put you on a course of life that will bless your heart and flourish you and draw you closer into love and truth and meaning and open your eyes to the God that is. And there is no God like the God that we serve. We sing these songs Sunday after Sunday. We hear God's word Sunday after Sunday. And we're so used to it. When we live according to it, we avoid these kind of pitfalls. But this is a dark world and there's a lot of pain and confusion out there. And we don't want to just keep it to ourselves. 
We want to come alongside others and speak the truth in love that we might win another for the glory of God. We want to build on the rock. We want to press on in our mission to exalt God, edify the saints, and yes, evangelize the lost, knowing that it always results in a joyful heart and a heartful praise to God. We're about to sing a song on it. And Noah's going to introduce it to us. And it's the perfect transition. He thought of it because I sent him the sermon notes. Because I said, Noah, it's, it's kind of a heavy sermon. I'm sorry to leave that for you. But he said, I think I got the song. You gave life. You are love. You bring light in the darkness. Glory to God. And may God bless the preaching of his word.